He is just. God is just. And you go, oh yeah, just. Justice, yep. The news sure is full of all kinds of stories about justice, isn't it? It just seems like justice is everywhere. All kinds of things. And when I think of justice, um, this is what comes to my mind. This is one of my heroes, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. And man, you ever want to go try to find a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. on justice, you've got a lot of options. But this is one of my favorite things. He said, that, he said that true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. I appreciate that. And we think about, oh, we think about justice and we think about the fight for rights. We often think about Dr. King, Reverend King. Um, but if you ever stop to consider, what does it really mean to fight for rights? We say, oh, fight for right, fight for the right. What fight for the right? What does that mean? Our culture is always talking about justice. Our culture is always demanding justice. It's always insisting upon rights. And in some ways that's good, but I think there's a problem with that. When it comes to our culture. And we're going to try to expose that today. But first, let's start with a definition, right? We always want to start with our definitions. And so what is justice? We better define our terms. What is justice? Well, justice obviously comes from the word just, which means based on our behaving according to what is morally right and fair. So something is that is just is something that is based on or behaving according to what is morally right and fair. Now, this is probably a fairly loaded thing, and we could probably go word by word and really break it down and really get into it. But I'm fairly certain of this, and we all look at this, every single one of us would look at this definition, and we would think about justice, and we would say, yes, we all agree there is a need for fairness. Every single one of us, whether we're little kids or grown adults, We need fairness. We say, yes, there is a need for fairness. Now, can everybody articulate what is fair? No. And that's probably part of the problem in our culture is there's a whole lot of division on that. And so I go, man, maybe if we could all just recognize, yeah, we all want justice. We all want what's right and fair. Maybe there'd be a little bit less division and a little bit more civility. So, okay, if that's what being just is, what is justice? It's just behavior or treatment. It's the quality of being fair and reasonable. It's just like that word, based on or behaving to. It's that quality of being right and fair. Justice is behaving fairly, interacting with others in the world in a morally right manner. A morally right manner. And so, as I mentioned, it's... It's figuring out what is that definition of right and fair that causes so much division in our society. So let's dig a little bit deeper into justice today. And we're going to see what we can discover about it. And I understand that this is going to be kind of philosophical and maybe a little bit deep. And I can only really kind of scratch the surface on these things. So as this starts working in your heart and in your minds and you're thinking about this and you're going, man, I really thought about that. Or this brings up a question or that. I would be happy to engage with you, have conversations, uh, talk about it, send me an email, send me a text, whatever. I'm glad to. I really appreciated this week in our gospel group, uh, one of the guys from Phoenix, uh, we were just discussing last week's message in gospel group, which is always kind of funny because they say, anyone have any thoughts on this? And everyone looks at me and I go, hey, I've, 
I forgot. I'm already on to the next one, right? But he asked me a question, a sort of a deep question, kind of challenging something I'd said last week. And I was like, wow, I don't know. I've got to think about that more. So I'm always open to that. So as we go through these things, uh, definitely feel free to uh, converse with me about this as well. So that being said, what does true justice depend upon? What does it depend upon? Let's, let's get into justice and what, what does it depend upon? There's a couple things I think that justice depends on. The first thing is it depends upon an accepted moral code. If we're going to talk about something being morally right, we have to have a moral code. There has to be a set of morals that are accepted for there to be justice. There has to be a set of values in order for something to be pronounced right and fair. Now, if you think about that term anarchy, right? I don't know if I say the word anarchy, you might think of, you know, like skateboarders or something like that. I don't know. But anarchy really is the sense of, hey, chaos and no government. And we think about it a lot of times in terms of governing authority, but true anarchy is really the absence of a set of moral values, if you had no morals, you would have anarchy. So we look at this and we go, okay, justice depends on an accepted moral code. What do we mean by accepted? Well, I think on some scale you could say, well, if we get enough folks in the room and they kind of come up with a, a moral code, we go, okay, that's the accepted moral code for that. And I go, okay, in some cases that's probably true, but the problem with that is what? It excludes anybody who's outside of that room. We go, okay, well, that, that might be accepted in sort of a limited quantity, but when it excludes all those other people, we have to understand that true justice requires a universal moral code. There has to be a moral code that applies to everybody. It has to apply to everybody, because only then can everybody be included and everybody can have justice. So last week we mentioned the Ten Commandments, and a little cheesy graphic of the Ten Commandments there, but the Ten Commandments are really the greatest moral summation ever. That'd be my opinion. Maybe a lot of you would share that opinion. It's the greatest moral summation ever. And now, I know we wouldn't be voting on it, but I think almost everybody you would talk to, if you talked about these things, they would agree, yeah, these are, these are morals that we should hold to. And really, it's interesting, other religions have moral codes that look a lot like the Ten Commandments. We've been learning about Buddhism in, a, in the teen gospel group on Sunday afternoons, and we've learned they've got five commandments, and those five commandments line right up with the Ten Commandments. And I think you'd find that in most religious systems in the world. So you have to have a universal moral code. The second thing I think justice depends upon is unalienable rights. <clears throat> now, you all probably feel like you're back in civics class here when we're talking about this. You go, okay, well, what does unalienable mean? What does that mean? It means unable to be taken away nor given away by the possessor. So there are rights that are inherent to you that cannot be taken away from you and cannot be given away by you. You go, okay, well, what are rights then? <laughs> ever have those questions where you feel like the answer is actually the question, what are rights? Well, they're rights. <laughs> you go, okay, yeah, so they're rights. And then what do we mean by rights? It just seems like that's a base word. Well, it really means it's an entitlement. It's something you're entitled to. It's inherent, an inherent entitlement, entitlement to something. So we always think of, when we think of unalienable rights, we think about this, the U.S. Constitution. You go, oh yeah, that's one of those words somewhere from my memory in school is something about uh, inalienable rights. Yeah, it's in there somewhere. 
And so the Constitution tells us that the laws of this country are molded around unalienable rights, human rights. That's made us unique as a nation for many years. Now, interestingly, where does the Constitution say those unalienable rights come from? So they come from our Creator, don't they, right? We'll talk about that more in a minute. A third thing that I think justice depends upon is an eternal timeline. Well, what do I mean by that? An eternal timeline? What does it mean? Does justice need an eternal timeline? Well, true justice cannot have an expiration date. It can't expire. We can't just outweigh just out, you know, wait it out and oh, justice is done. <clears throat> we can't say, hey, this such and such thing is morally right, and then at a future date it, it won't be morally right anymore. It has to be an eternal. It has to have always been and has to always will be. We can't say, well, this didn't used to be right, but now it is. The timeline has to be eternal. Justice means something was always right and fair, and it will be always right and fair. Otherwise, it's not just. Otherwise, it's not just. So we have those three things. We have a universal moral code, we have unalienable rights, and we have an eternal timeline. So when we have those things, we have justice. So when we don't have those things, what happens to justice? Well, when we don't have a universal moral code, something fills in the place. And it's injustice fills the place of justice, right? We always talk about a vacuum. What happens? You have a vacuum, stuff comes into its place, right? So without justice, a vacuum of justice, we have injustice. So I thought I would give you an example. We say, oh, without a moral code, I'm going to give you an example of a civilization that had no moral code. There is none. <laughs> I, I looked. <laughs> There's none. No, every civilization, that's part of the deal. To be civilized, you have to have a moral code. So, there's no such thing as a civilization without a moral code. So, in some ways, a code is always instituted. Now, whether it's really moral or really universal or not is debatable. And so I thought, well, there's been some times where people haven't accepted really a universal moral code, but they come up with some kind of code. So here's a couple examples. The first one I thought of was the Dark Ages. So in the Dark Ages, there was sort of an absence of a universal moral code. That's kind of why they call it dark. And so then what filled in? Well, people with power. In that case, a lot of it was the Catholic Church. And the result of all of that sort of injustice, there was corruption, there was persecution, there was bondage, there was injustice. Right? Think of another example. We think of the USSR. They sort of came up with their own code, the code of the Politburo or of Lenin and Marx and so on and so forth. And what did they get? They had imprisonment. They had no freedom. They had the gulags, like this picture, a guy pushing dirt around in a wheelbarrow. It was unjust. There was no justice. You might say, well, what about the United States? Do we have this? <laughs> picture of a flag burning here. Now, historically, like we were talking about, in the United States, our society has been founded upon a universal moral code found in the Ten Commandments. That's where it's been. But what do we have now? I think increasingly we're seeing a rejection of that as an accepted moral code. Well, what happens if we reject a universal moral code? We're going to get injustice, aren't we? That's what we're headed for. That's what we're seeing more and more. And I really think the absence, the absence of a universal moral code in our country is going to lead to major, major problems in the future. 
So that's what we see. Without a universal moral code, we're going to have injustice. Now, without unalienable rights, people are truly oppressed. People are truly oppressed. And oppression really means just trying to deny somebody their unalienable rights. You have those rights, I'm going to try to deny those from you. Of course, one obvious example of this was slavery. Slavery in the United States. I think it's good sometimes as we consider what happened in this country, we go, yeah, this was a thing and it happened. But to remember some of the, the statistics and some of the facts about slavery because of the oppression that was there. So I looked up some statistics. So the slave trade started in the United States in about uh, 1525, so before we were, long before we were ever a country, until 1866, right? That was the end of the Civil War. During that time, not just to the United States, but the whole New World, nearly 13 million people were enslaved in Africa and shipped to the New World. 13 million people. And actually, only about, what was my number there? Only about 11 million actually made it. Think about that many people dying coming across the ocean. It's, incra- it's crazy, right? And in, in 1806, the United States banned importation of slaves. They said, no more slaves. And so there was maybe about a million slaves in the United States at that time. But by 1860, 55 years later, there were nearly 4 million. 4 million slaves who weren't enslaved in Africa. They grew up. They were born and grew up. They were born into slavery in the United States. Think about that. Four million. I had to look it up. Do you know there are 23 states in the United States that have a population today, today, less than four million each? So if you took all of the slaves who existed at the beginning of the Civil War, you could take them and drop them into any, like, almost half of the United States, and it would double the population of that state. That is a lot of people in a, being oppressed. It's good to remember sort of those quantities. This wasn't like 10 or 15 people. This was millions of people. And so why was slavery so unjust? Well, for one, we had laws. We had the Constitution that said people have unalienable rights. And they were being denied. They were being denied. And so it was sort of us being hypocritical as a nation. And we ended up going to war with ourselves over that. But... It wasn't just the law, it was a fact. That's part of the deal of unalienable, is it doesn't depend on the law, it depends on these natural rights that people have, that people are endowed with, as the Constitution says, by God. And so we go, okay, well that was an example. Well, what would be an example today? Do we have anything, or have we just sort of reached the point as a culture where we're not denying anybody their unalienable rights? Well, unfortunately, that's not the case. And I think, as I look out over the landscape, one of the greatest ways that we are in a battle over unalienable rights today is over the practice and the legal battles of abortion. And I don't want to get up on a soapbox, and I don't want to make this an issue, and I'm not going to be political, but man, the parallels between this and slavery are very striking. We have a whole group of millions of people who have been and are being denied their unalienable rights. And this is a major problem when it comes to justice. But I want to be very cautious even talking about this issue because I go, man, this is a very personal and very sensitive thing because it's not just something that happens out there, it's something that happens in our lives and in the people around us. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, wow, 
I've, I've participated in abortion, or I, I have some connection to that, or I know somebody who has, and how do I relate to that? At a personal level, if that's your experience, or you know somebody, and you can communicate this, say, man, I love you. As a church, we love you. We care about you. You are welcome here. And more important than that, God loves you. God loves you. And if we can, we want to help you. We want to tell you that you're not condemned if that's part of your your story. So there we go. That's without the unable lights. People are, people are truly oppressed. And so then we get to the eternal timeline. What happens if we don't have that? Without an eternal timeline, justice can't be applied equally. I think there seems to be this tendency in the world to say, oh, okay, well, things are really fluid and things kind of bend and things are, things are living and they change and morals can change over time. And that sounds really good. And maybe laws can be changed, but laws are not morals. If rightness and fairness have expiration dates, then they're not really right and fair. They have to be eternal. Because if they're not, we can't apply justice equally. So we've got to have justice. And again, I think all of us would agree, we need to have justice. If we don't have justice, the world and our society is going to break down. Everybody wants fairness. Everyone wants things to be fair. But remember what I said at the beginning, there's a big problem surrounding justice today. And here it is, it's that society has rejected true justice. Why? I think society has rejected true justice because there is a large-scale rejection of God. And we'll talk about why I think that's the case, but I think this takes on the form, and we hear this a lot, and maybe some of us in our own lives have this too, is there's a couple ways we can kind of reject God and his justice. First, we can just sort of diminish his importance and say, well, I believe in God, but I'm not really interested in knowing him, or I don't really want to follow him, or I don't really want to serve him. He's not really that important. I I think he's there, but I don't really think he's that important. And then there's some people, a much smaller segment of the population, who would say, I don't even believe there's a God. I don't even care about God. I'm not even worried about it. Well, the problem with that, when we do those things, is we begin to reject justice. We begin to reject justice. And I think there's, a, there's many culprits for why our culture has shifted this way. Over the past hundred years, or however long it's been, our culture has shifted this way, and there's a few reasons, probably, but I think the main one is really Darwinian evolution. I do. And you're like, wow, Greg's hitting everything today. Wow, we're talking about evolution. Oh my goodness. I think it's true. This way of thinking that, yeah, you know, we just kind of evolved from other things, and we came from nothing, and we came from small things, and grew larger, well... When you take that, you go, ah, I'm kind of thinking that because I don't really want there to be a God. I don't really want there to be a creator who created me. And that thinking then says, well, if there isn't a creator, then I don't have to be accountable to him. I don't need to have his moral code that he set up. 
But see, if we came from nothing, how can we have justice? If there is no higher power, where does justice come from? Where does the moral code come from? What makes a universal moral code? What endows us with unalienable rights? How can there be an eternal timeline if we just came from nothing and we'll end up being nothing? How can we all have this universal sense of right and wrong of saying things need to be fair? Where does that come from if we came from nothing? That's something coming from nothing. It doesn't make sense. And if we can't answer these questions beyond ourselves, then again, society is going to tend more and more and more towards chaos, and I see it happening all around. All right, now at this point, you're probably going, okay, I thought we came to church this morning. I thought we were going to look at the scripture. (laughs) You haven't even mentioned a scripture yet. (laughs) And I go, that's right. I haven't cited the Bible yet. It's coming in just a minute. But there's a point here. I think that when we can go and we can examine deep issues like justice, and we can examine them just even philosophically, we go, wow, it points me back to God. It points me back to God. And so here we are. So I believe God is the source of justice. God is the source of justice. And because of that, he is just, as the title of the message is today. I believe that God is the higher power that supplies us the moral code. He's the one who endows us with the rights. And he's the one who brings eternity into the equation. So, now, finally, we're going to look at what the Bible says about this. And so we're going to look at a series of Bible verses about this quality of God, about justice. Okay, the first one. God shows no partiality, Romans 2, 11. I really think impartiality is the most important element of justice. We want it to be fair. It's got to be applied equally. You have to be impartial. We understand this, you know, with the blind, the, the blind just lady justice that we see outside of courthouses and so forth. This idea that it's justice is going to be applied equally and fairly to all. We understand that justice hinges upon this, upon a fair application. And so I love this verse. It's so succinct. God shows no partiality. God is impartial. Period. (laughs) That's it. It's very clear. And we know it must be true because God says, as we learned about in weeks past, God says he is holy, which means he is perfect, which means he must be impartial. If he was partial, he would not be perfect and he would not be God. Another verse we can look at from Zechariah chapter 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. And so another element of God's justice is mercy and kindness. Mercy and kindness. See, we are being told here to be merciful and kind. Thus says the Lord, be kind and show mercy. And if God is telling us to do that, it means it's part of his character. He's not going to ask us to do something that he's not about. And in other words, we can look at this and say, don't infringe upon the unalienable rights of others, especially the weak, especially the vulnerable. And so that's mercy, and we're going to talk more about God's mercy 
next week. We'll get into that as a whole other character quality of God. Third verse, third and fourth verse we can look at today. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted. The wrongdoer will be paid back by the Lord for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality, Colossians 3.25. So another part of justice is punishment. Without punishment, you can't really have justice, because justice means fairness, and fairness means that crimes and wrongs and sins must be punished. A lot of times there's this sense in the culture in our world of, oh, I want to punish others, but I don't really want any punishment (laughs) shown to me. I want mercy for me and punishment for others. And you go, no, fairness means punishment has to come to everybody. And so God is like, yes, there is punishment for wrongs. It's this verse in Romans chapter 12. Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I will repay. Isn't this great? Isn't this great? It tells us that God is just. God is just. He will take care of justice. He can't leave it. He won't leave it. He's going to take care of it. And so in this sense, if we grasp this and we go, wow, somebody wronged me, somebody harmed me, I don't have to be consumed with enacting justice because I go, guess what? God is just. God is going to take care of it. God will bring about justice. It's pretty cool. Another verse. Hebrews 6, right? Yeah, Hebrews 6.10. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. What's the opposite of punishment? Reward. Reward. God gives rewards for good. This verse tells us if you overlook good and you don't reward it, that's not just. So God isn't going to overlook good. He isn't going to overlook good. It's such a simple equation, isn't it? You have good deeds, you get a good reward. You have bad deeds, you get punishment. If any of you are parents and you don't understand that equation, we better have a conversation. It's very simple. It's like the basics. It's the 101 of parenting. Good deeds should be rewarded. Finally, Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. So what is at the essence of God's power? What is, what is at the essence? God is powerful. God is all-powerful. We learned about this. What's at the essence of it? It's justice and fairness. This verse says God's rightness and fairness is the essence of his power. And so we can think about it sort of backwards. What if God wasn't perfectly fair? What if he was partial? Well, for one, if he was imperfectly just, then he wouldn't be perfect. And if he wasn't perfect, he wouldn't be God. Because by nature, God is perfect. Second, it would mean he was lacking some wisdom. If he didn't know how to be just or he didn't enact justice, he would be missing. He would be lacking something and so he wouldn't be all-knowing and therefore he wouldn't be God. So 
justice is tied up right there at the foundation. It's foundational to who God is. So there's a handful of verses and we see that God is just and he's revealing that to us through scripture. And by being truly just, he is the one who is going to impart justice to us. So let's recap this. First, where does the universal moral code come come from? It comes from God's standards. And it's woven into the creation. And that's why all of us go, yes, we want there to be justice. Where do unalienable rights come from? Well, they're endowed to us by our creator. The Constitution got it right. It didn't make it up. It's just the truth. It's endowed to us by our creator. Third, how can justice have an eternal timeline? Well, when justice is created by an eternal being, then it can have an eternal timeline. That's where justice comes from. God is impartial. God is merciful. God punishes the wrongdoer. God rewards good. God's power is founded on perfect justice. Isn't that amazing? can rejoice like Paul did in Romans 16 to the only wise God or we might say to the only just God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen? So when we understand that God is just when we understand that God is just not only should we rejoice but we also we might want to be a little bit worried Because we go, okay, God is just. He's merciful, but he's just. If he's just, that means what? If God is going to impartially apply punishment according to his established universal moral code, then each one of us is in really big trouble, aren't we? Because not a single one of us can sit here and say, whoa, yeah, I've never broken God's moral, moral code in a number of different ways. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is some bad news. This is really bad news for us. We go, yeah, it's great that God is just. It's great that he's fair. It's great that he's right. But oh man, I am in trouble. I am in trouble because I've broken the code. I've broken his laws. That's bad news. You're like, wait, what's the good news? Well, I'll give it to you next week because we're going to talk about God's mercy and the good news stems from God's mercy. So this week, every week we've had a little bit of homework. We're going to remember that God is just. So remember that God is the source of all justice. And so as you're going through the week and you're having your, your quiet times, your devotionals and your conversations, be thinking about how God is just. And maybe when you see things this week and you go, that doesn't seem fair, that doesn't seem right, you could go, yeah, well maybe it is. But God is just. And he's going to bring about justice eventually in that situation, whatever it is. So let's take steps this week to honor his just nature and worship him. All right, that's what I had to share today about justice. I'll go ahead and pray and close. Yeah, God, we thank you. We thank you that you are just. God, we all have this sense, this innate sense that things need to be right and things need to be fair and wrongs need to be righted and wrongs need to be punished and good deeds need to be rewarded. God, I think we have that sense because you've imprinted it on us by creating us. And God, I thank you that you are just and you are going to punish every infraction. 
every single time anyone in all of history has ever broken your moral code, there's going to be punishment. And Lord, that's terrifying because we stand before a perfectly just judge. And God, we'll talk about it next week, but thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ to die in our place to satisfy justice for us. We thank you for it. God, we just worship you that you are just and that you have imprinted us with justice. Lord, give us wisdom, we ask. Give us wisdom to walk in a right and just way in a culture that becomes increasingly dark and increasingly rejects your universal moral code. Give us the wisdom of how to continue to love, how to continue to serve, how to continue to offer justice to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.